Hi, this is Sharice Kenyon and you're listening to the Beauty Me podcast all about beauty beyond the BS. This week's guest is the wonderful award-winning entrepreneur Winnie Awa. I've known Winnie for a while. She is one of the most amazing people you'll ever meet. She has the most infectious laugh. She has the biggest smile. She has the best energy. And since I've known Winnie, she's been really solidifying her status as a true expert and advocate for people with textured hair, specifically those with type 4 hair, the tightest curl pattern of all the curl types. And we're definitely going to go into all the different hair types, by the way. I think there's a major kind of assumption, even from brands, that everybody knows their hair type and everybody's aware of what different hair types mean. But I just think it's very far from the truth. And many of us don't even realize that we might have multiple curl variations on our own heads. So I had to get Winnie on. She's someone, as I said, I've known her for a while. But this isn't going to be one of those episodes where I'm nosy. Instead, we are fully focused on Winnie and her work because it's so important. In 2020, she founded Cara, which is a brilliant online platform that's powered by data to give people with textured hair the world over the advice and product recommendations they really need. And more recently this June, Winnie launched the Texture Gap, which has had so much press. I will share a couple of links to it for you. You really need to read about it. Um, It's actually an AI-driven report that Winnie and her team at Cara Labs created that truly highlights the lack of consideration, innovation, and awareness around type 4 hair in particular. In this conversation, We discuss so much. We look at the intricacies of black hair. Winnie will break down all the hair types for you. Why brands need to wake up to the needs of people with textured hair. Why some of us are going back to relaxing our hair. Why some of us don't really feel like doing protective styles right now. And we're essentially discussing the fact that we have a right to choose exactly what we do with our hair. But We should also have the right to access products that are truly good for our hair and our health. Winnie also shocks me with some information in this episode. She's going to share about how hair products that are created for textured hair will often never be tested on textured hair, as in real textured hair. I'll let her explain. I really think this is a conversation that should be shared. I really think everyone can learn from this, whether you are sitting on a board of a hair brand or you are a parent to a child and you're wondering what their next styling options should be. Should you relax their hair? What's open, what's out there for you? So there's a lot here. It's so informative. Thank you, Winnie. I love spending time with Winnie and I have to say, we'll definitely be doing something else along these lines soon. Before I go on though, I just need to let you know, my doorbell will go off at one point during this conversation. So apologies, but I know you're going to enjoy this one. Winnie, I've known you for a few years. It's kind of a travesty that you haven't been on the show already. I know we've talked about it. And now you have your own podcast called The Hair Lab. As well as that, you are a hair expert. You have Cara, which is an amazing online hair expertise kind of... Well, you can explain it better than me in a sec. 
but I've always known you to be someone so passionate. Oh, and you also have a fashion label, uh, duh. Um, <laughs> you are just, <laughs> you're so entrenched in hair for me, especially like in the UK for me, you are like one of the industry figures that's up there because of what you talk about. And anyone that knows this show knows that I always love to be nosy. I'm all about the morning routines and your rituals. And I know you will have interesting ones for us. But today it's all about you and your work. Most importantly, the texture gap, which is a report that you created. So this episode, I feel like it's for anyone that hasn't got a clue about hair, because that's okay. Hair of all types, hair of all textures. Um, I feel that here in the UK, there's a whole other conversation that needs to be had about hair, professional hairdressers not taking on Afro hair. It's not a given. It's something that they have to choose. And I think that needs to be changed at some point. But it's very much about you being on this mission to educate the world, I feel, on the complexity and beauty of specifically black hair. How do you put it? Is it black hair? Is it textured hair? Is it Afro hair? I want you to really break it down for me. So first of all, let's not assume that everybody knows all the hair types. Winnie, okay. tell us all the hair types. Okay, so this is this is actually a... It's quite loaded, right? Um, talking about texture hair types or, yeah, whatever you want to call it, hair type categorization. But let's go back to the history. Hair typing categorization was introduced by a man called Andre Walker. He is Oprah's hairdresser. I'm actually not sure if he's still her hairdresser, but I, I think he's he's been her hairdresser for a while. Um, and he created this hair typing system as a way of differentiating between straight and tightly coiled hair. So, for instance, type one would be typically your straight hair, right? Type two has a little bit of wave to it. Type three is your curly hair, curly, bouncy. And then type four hair is tightly coiled, tightly wound hair. I often think, whenever I think type four, I think of the Lupita Nyongos of this world, like rich, dense. Um, My husband's hair, actually. I can pull it and it will go from looking like it's one centimeter long to eight centimeters. There you go. There you go. That's, that's typically what's seen as type four hair. Um, and it typically when people are starting to learn about their hair, it's often something to start with. It's often a beginning point, you know, asking things like, what is my hair type? Of course, a lot of this has been, you know, like things like YouTube really helped explode that where Actually, that's the first question people are asking about before figuring out what their hair routine is and what their sort of um, products that they might utilize for their hair uh, might be. Now, the challenges or maybe the critique of this hair typing category is that we might have multiple textures in our hair and it's not monolithic in that way. And then also there's an element of that that you know, has contributed to what is typically known as texturism, which is the favoring of looser curl textures over tighter curl textures. And we've certainly seen that in the evolution of the natural hair movement, where we've realized that people with tightly coiled type four hair seem to have now been left behind. And 
that's the basis of the work that we've done actually on the texture gap report, which I know we're going to be digging into in more detail. So just to make it even more complicated for people, first of all, thank you. I did not know it was Andre Walker. I know who he is, but I did not know. Because yeah. that means it's a new thing relatively in the history of, you know, I mean, hair and beauty. I mean, far back we're going back into history, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but if he was Oprah's hairdresser, yeah. <laughs> you know. But um, we're just going to complicate even more because aren't there A's, B's and C's amongst these four oh, different gosh, categories yeah. as well? Yes, yes, yes. So each has a, you know, like there'll be type 3A, 3B, 3C, type 4A, 4B, 4C. And actually, before I got on this podcast, I was looking at a brand site. And this is something that really grates me, right? And I'm like, wait, why are we stopping at a particular hair type when it comes to representation? Are we allergic to type four hair? Like, what is going on? I want to see full representation. Um, and what was actually quite interesting to me when we launched Texture Gap, a friend of mine reached out, she was looking at a page and she was like, I don't even see myself here. And I just think in today's world, there's really no excuse. And it's when people say, representation matters it's not a it's not just a glib statement it's it's something beautiful it's something to be um to be celebrated it's something to be innovated for right um and 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 there's beauty in doing that in doing the work of learning what it takes to better serve this consumer there's a laziness for me as someone that's been writing about hair for more than 15 years I've seen even the word texture that has become this little nice, neat carryall for all hair types. For me, um, going into mostly black hair salons or salons that could do black or Afro hair, texture was always something more spoken about in those salons. I wouldn't find it if I was going to say like a regular, like a a Tonian guy or a Sassoon for a blow dry. Mm. So I feel... The past five years, texture's become this catchy little, like, oh, if we start saying texture, we don't have to say Afro. We don't have to say 4C. Mm. And also our white clientele won't feel like we are pushing something new on them. Mm. I feel I've seen brands and I spoke to you recently about a brand, one brand in particular that's known for like lovely hair products, high end. You only ever see white models that, you know, that's just the way it is. They have a new range and they've used the word texture in the name of the range and the models, the most texture I see is probably me, my loose curls going with my skin tone. Yeah. And that's for me, that brings up what you said earlier. You said, why is four, why are the fours being ignored? Why is four C? And I feel that you need to say that isn't that hair type most often associated with a black, a, a black person, not, <laughs> not mixed races essentially. So I think diversity has become this, it's bullshit. Yeah, it absolutely (laughs) is. Representation is. I just think if if one is going to go down that route, certainly of, um, of, of saying this is for, you know, say for instance, Afro textured hair or Afro multi textured hair, Afro and curly hair, it would be really nice to just go deep. Right. Um, there's yeah. nothing that stops us from representing that. This is the reason why I love Fenty so much. Not just the, you know, like the shades, but also even what she's doing with, um, with, with, with Savage Fenty, the, um, the underwear. I love watching like the shows, right? Because you see 
all shapes, all sizes, all abilities. Like you see everything. And there's just something so beautiful about seeing that. Even if you're not in that way represented, you know that it's for you. You don't feel any kind of way in utilizing um, either the product or wearing the lingerie because you could just see that really beautiful um, representation across the board. And um, and I'd love to see more of that in the world of hair. Isn't it ridiculous that it's taken so long? Well, that it's taken so long because hair is something that almost all of us have. And I'm sure you already know when you, black women spend huge amounts on hair, like whether it's treatments, whether it's weave, whether it's getting braids, the upkeep, the time that goes into it. It's like, it's always felt for me that hair has never caught up with beauty. I don't know why, because hair is more accessible in a way. Do you know what I mean? Every, like I said, almost everyone's got it in some shape or form or another, whereas not everybody wants to wear makeup. I think it's assumed that everybody wants makeup. Yeah. What do you think's happened there? Ah, oh, this is an interesting one. I was recently at a conference in the States focused on textured hair, and it was really fascinating for me to learn about testing, right? So testing across all hair textures, where within the industry, there is this lack of availability of testing, or scenarios where a lot of the testing procedures have been based on straight hair. So there's then suddenly this need to actually change those procedures to encounter for texture, um, or actually really make sure that we're acquiring the right fibers to test, as opposed to something that surprised me, this phenomenon where straight hair is being treated to look like textured hair and then tested upon. Real story. <laughs> it's not even the same. Like, even I know it's, it's not the same, but oh my not, God, the laziness. It might, the same. <laughs> it might look the same, but it will certainly not behave Listen. the same. No. Humidity. Um, exactly. Like, no. I'm always sort of fascinated by, can we look under the hood to understand what is contributing to the way things are at this stage? And that was one of the things that, I learned and was incredibly shocking for me because, you know, now's the time to start listening. Now's the time to start having conversation. When I look at ingredients, it always seems like we stop at, you know, once we think about, again, textured hair, we stop at coconut oil and shea butter. But then there is a conversation of, okay, aren't there other active ingredients that we can be looking at? Um how might we be able to look deeper under the hood? So I'm always sort of thinking about, okay, so is there room for more innovation? Where are we on the innovation curve when it comes to textured hair? And I really think we're in the beginning phases and there's real huge, big, massive opportunities to really push the boundaries here. Um, huge opportunities to look at active ingredients and actually say, okay, what, what can we change in this space? How can we better meet the needs of people with textured hair? One of the things that we were speaking about was, you know, I was sort of like detangling my hair and it was so stressful. I've, I've personally stopped twisting my hair. When I first went natural, I would, oh, bless her cotton socks, that Winnie. The Winnie that first went natural, that would, you know, literally like twist 
twist her hair every night, which doesn't make sense because, you know, that heavy manipulation was also contributing to my breakage. And I remember me and my bestie, when we'd go out on a night out with our big full froze out on the way back in the in the taxi back home, we're like, do you know what? Let's twist our hair now because if we twist it now, it means you can get home. All you need to do is wash your hair, get into bed, uh, right? And I'm just like, that's because these are the things that we do because you don't want your hair to be a tangled mess. And I'm like, okay, how can we get better? <laughs> but also, like, we brought this up before, so we might as well deal with it now. Yeah. I What you said about the time, there's someone that's been on the show before. Her name's Iman and we're friends in real life. And the other day she did this video. She was like, where is the girl that used to spend hours doing my own protective styles? Cause she was like, that girl is not here this summer. She's yeah. cut her hair shorter. And I feel that there is like the natural hair movement came along and it made so many women feel like, Oh my God, this is me. And that is great. But there's a whole bunch of other women that are like, I do not want to be twisting. I don't want to do protective. Actually, I'm going back to relax. I think relax is just getting bigger and bigger. I relax my hair now. I haven't relaxed my hair since I was a teenager. And I have looser hair. I just want to be able to manipulate my hair how I see fit. And I think that's what hair is. I feel that as people of color, as black women, hair is very loaded. There's a history. There's a familiarity. But there's also a sense of guilt if perhaps you opt for an easier option mm -hmm. in inverted commas. Um, you know, we have such busy lives or if, if not busy, stressful, yeah. um, especially since the pandemic. And um, for me, I just, whenever I've been in the company of like the great hairdressers, like backstage at Fashion Weeks, the mm -hmm. people that are just amazing, they literally see everyone's hair as a texture that they can manipulate. Mm -hmm. It does not matter what is beneath that? They're like, what can I do with this? Mm. And that's what I want. And I think a lot of women now are like, yeah, if I can relax my hair to just give me that little bit of ease when I want to put it back or so I don't have to use so much gel for flyaways or because I'm not interested in creating um, baby hair. Mm -hmm. Like you said, um, hair is not a monolith and neither is blackness as we know. So I just think there's, it's like you're talking about innovation and I feel that it's coming at the right time as there's a lot of people that don't, we don't all want the same things. Yeah. So it's like, who cares to do something about that? I think. Is it I just think, you? <laughs> I mean, I don't want it to be. Are you going to bring me. a brand out? <laughs> I I'm, I'm, I'm vested in the hair care ecosystem as a whole. I think what you're talking about there is this sense of play and expression, which I think is a beautiful thing. That's, that's what beauty is always meant, right? I color my hair blonde. You know, it's been pink. You can't see it right now because it's grown out. We need to go touch it up again. Um, but it, it, it really is play and expression. Something that I often say is actually we've had the natural hair movements. And, you know, you know, I love art. So I'm interested in like, okay, mm -hmm. like, I feel like there's a post natural hair movement. Like the way we 100%. have, the way we have post modern art, there's a post. Oh, for sure. Oh, well, you go through eras, the twenties, like, exactly. yeah, exactly. So there's the era that was all about pride with civil rights movement, right? That is closely linked to the political. That would always be there. There was the era of, 
the natural hair movement, which was buoyed by YouTube. Because not only are we looking and consuming that from a political perspective, it was now practical. We can sit behind our screens and we could, you know, follow along um, to different varied degrees of success in terms of what you get in the end. <laughs> but you can start over. That's the, that's the beauty of it, isn't it? It's like... And then there is this wave that I call the post-natural hair movement. And for me, that is the era of play. It's the era of expression. But the thing that must underpin that era is ease and real freedom. For me, that looks like if you want to dye your hair pink, if you want to wear a relaxer, if you want to twist your hair, if you want to lock your hair, Whatever it is you want to do for your hair from an aesthetic play expression point of view, there must be health at the end of that, right? People shouldn't be playing and expressing themselves at the health of um, toxic chemicals, at the, at the cost of maybe uterine cancer, endocrine disorders, um, mm. stress, uh, time, money, <laughs> all of these things that we end up expending at the cost, at a huge cost. In the report, we talk about how beyond the aesthetic, there's a health cost that's attached here. We shouldn't be in a place where if we wanted to be able to manipulate our hair to play, we then have to, you know, use chemicals that are not great for us. I just don't think that we should not be doing that, right? Like we shouldn't, it shouldn't come at the cost of our health. And, you know, to go back to your point of, you know, the fact that people just don't want to do that anymore. We're becoming busier. We're more stressed. And these things should be easy. It should just be easy. And, and I think that, that I therein, wanna... lies, therein lies the opportunity for innovation. When we can be in a place where we're like, I can wear my hair however I want. That's real freedom. And would you say that it's pretty much only, would you say it's only people with straight hair that get that kind of freedom because they can obviously mimic curls, they can braid their hair, they can pretty much fake any kind of, you I think mean, it's a problem that's specific to? I mean, arguably we can as well because we can braid our hair. We can do different mm. types of sort of like braided styles, twisted styles, crochet styles. That in itself is, is exciting. I think we're it becomes more challenging is maybe when you're altering your hair with things like, um, as you say, maybe wanting to use relaxers or um, color. I think there needs to be a greater freedom on that mm -hmm. um, because typically as much as, so for instance, tomorrow when I, when I braid my hair, it's going to be pink, right? As much as you can play from that perspective, okay. when it comes to sort of, even the process of getting to, you know, braiding my hair. For instance, my hair is washed. I had to detangle it. It took me a whole lot of time to detangle it. And whilst I was detangling, I was like, oh my God, there's <laughs> so much hair that I'm shedding. Like, is everything okay? Like, it's that process of getting it into those styles that are not necessarily easeful. Is what we're talking about, about why should I need to every day twist my hair? Why does it take this amount of time? If you want to relax your hair, why does it, why do you need to be scared of, you know, the chemicals and what it's doing, how it's entering your bloodstream? I just think that these things can be better and should be better. I would really love for us to just take a segue here and 
just explain to the listeners about some of the common health issues that are associated with products like relaxers. You mentioned endocrine disruptors. You mentioned uterine, uterine something. I just want to give people a little bit of information there because I know there can be a lot of um, scary stuff out there. Um, So just what are your thoughts on that? What for you, what is the most important thing people need to know or be aware of? Yeah, of course. So over the last five years, there really has been this mountain body of research around toxicity in chemicals contained in products targeting black women. Research that has been done at places such as the National Institute of Health or Harvard School of Public Health that are really looking at the linkages between certain products and things such as uterine cancer, endocrine disorders. Um, Endocrine is typically linked to sort of like the behavior of your hormones as women. And these studies have been exploring these linkages and seeing sort of like increased sort of um, relationship, um, as it were, between the two areas. So, It seems to be a growing body of research. There's obviously more press around that. And I actually think that there needs to be even more studies done within this space so that we can get a better understanding of how it's affecting our lives today. Obviously, just generally in... uh, Perhaps anecdotally, you know, on TikTok, you're seeing people who are like, we're tired, we don't care, we're relaxing our hair. And, you know, I spoke about the need for freedom, the need for better alternatives. But I think that the key thing here is being able to take those choices and being able to understand what that means for our health. Just last year, there were increased cases where women were suing a number of big companies for where they've, where they've maybe like had uterine cancer and they think it might have been linked to their use of relaxers and they're suing companies um, of these relaxer companies. So, right. So these are some of the things that are happening in the background to the experience, um, the experiences that we might be um, exploring when it comes to our hair choices and things that we just need to be aware of or be more better educated about to know, okay, what are we using? How is it being used? Who's the stylist that is doing it? Do they have a greater appreciation of this? I think that, you know, when we're taking these aesthetic choices, we should also be considering our health, not in a way that is like scaremongering or, you know, Mm -hmm. for us to be afraid, because that's certainly not where we want to be. Um, Certainly not when we're talking about play and expression. Um, Mm -hmm. We don't want it to be loaded in that way, but we do need to be aware um, and certainly take that into consideration as we we make um, choices with regards to our hair. Just a quick additional question there then. What would you say if it's a woman considering relaxing her children's hair? Do you think there should be a an age limit there? My hair was Just because relaxed. we don't know, like you're saying more yeah. should be done. So, you know, yeah. we might find out much more. What yeah. would you say to a... I don't mean to put you on the spot, but yeah, I kind no, of am like... Yeah, totally fine. Um, my hair was straightened, I think, from the age of four. I was a little bride at an artist's wedding. Yeah, hot comb. Four. Age of four. Do you and remember then... how it felt? 
To be honest, like I was, you remember those kids, you know, like they had those like kids on the box of relaxers. I wanted to be them. So I was down. I was like, do whatever you wanted to do. Like, I don't care. You know, you grew up, you grew grew up seeing everyone with it, right? Your aunties had, you just felt it was, it was something that you thought, okay, that's what beauty is. So I wanted it, right? I was, I was, I was a little bride and I was like, yeah, this is fun. Um, I would say hold off. Hmm. I would definitely say hold off. Um, there's no, there's no need to to go there when you're a kid. I just think well, hold off and mm. wait, or certainly to the point where you know we know a little bit more about the space. Um, definitely hold off. There, are, you know, kids. Uh, you know, there are loads of things you could do with kids' hair. I think maybe mm. invest in in those instead. You know, there are lots of like cute twists, things that you can do with hair bubbles that, you know we don't need to go down that route. So I would certainly say, yeah, put a pin on that. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about why, given all your knowledge, your experience with the women that you've worked with through Cara, which is your online kind of advice portal, I guess. Why now for the texture gap? Why now to put all this time and effort into this report? So at Cara, you know, we are a hair care personalization platform. People come to us um, to really understand, okay, to say basically, hey, I've got this hair goal or I've got this concern or I actually don't really know what I'm doing and I need help. (laughs) That's okay. There's no shame in that. None of us ever learned. Um, And at Cara, we're able to essentially create uh, personalized hair care routines and product recommendations based on their unique hair type. We do that with a mixture of real data and understanding of the different hair types, but also experts, because there are often a whole bunch of things that we have to unlearn and then relearn about our hair. And on our platform, we obviously see women with all sorts of like textures of hair. And we started to see sort of like when it came to, you know, tightly coiled hair, huge, massive differences and disparities in the experiences of people with this texture. And we really wanted to back that up with data. We've got something called the Textured Hair Engine that has amassed tons and tons of data, over 10 million data points on different textures, reviews, products, ingredients, um, what we call real life behavior, you know, like sort of like the sort of insights that you get from consumers in real life, not because they completed a survey, but because this is, you know, you're in that heat of the moment where you're like, I'm trying to like do this with my hair and I'm struggling. Being able to really look at that intelligence, apply very, very advanced um, techniques to actually learn and understand and see what insights that we were getting. And when we looked at it, we're like, hang on a second. Already we see when we're looking at products, as you say, in your experience, stopping at your hair texture when we're referring to textured hair, we already see that typically this consumer is not represented. So we wanted to say from a data perspective, what is it actually telling us? And digging into our data, we found that, you know, the rate at which, um, you know, online conversations by people with type four hair were actually growing at 62% year on year. Mm -hmm. And that's in comparison to eight is basically eight times more than any other hair type. So this consumer is over indexing on, conversations about their hair and that really shows you that there's a huge chasm right and that chasm is growing um between the their existing concerns and existing industry solutions and for us that was like a real jump off point of do you know what this consumer has not been centered 
um, in conversations. They seem to have been forgotten off the back of the natural hair movement. Let's put them back. Let's center them. Let's put them back on the pedestal. Let's try and understand them from a 360 degree perspective um, and, and, and look at how we can use that to essentially educate the broader hair care ecosystem from brand um from brand sorts of strategists uh new product development um sorts of leaders people in the r&d space formulators but also people on the marketing sphere to really understand it like it does not stop at say for instance your texture there are more something i find interesting actually is that you know we talked about 4c but actually there are people talking about 4D, 4E, just to give you an idea. Of, I knew you were going to say that. Right? I knew you were going to say that. give you an idea of the But it makes sense because if Rihanna can make 40 different foundation colors, why couldn't there possibly be 40 different hair types? Exactly. Like, I've been told in the past that on my head, apparently I have three different hair textures. So I'm just like, what, exactly. what am I meant to do with that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think, and I think... To be clear, I think that this is incredibly exciting, right? This is incredibly exciting. Like to be able to see the vast space to play when it comes to innovation, absolutely important, absolutely brilliant. We should be understanding how we can change things. Um, and yeah, like, yeah, from, from my perspective, I think the sky's the limit. It really is because hair, hair is so beautiful like textured hair is so beautiful like I said many of my favorite hairdressers I don't mean in that corny way where you know those people that say I don't see color but what I mean with hair is like they're just excited by it like how can I play with this how can I manipulate this but so there's that exciting bit and then there's someone like you that knows about it but you don't have a brand so then there's the brands and they're the ones that are like uh, let's call this the curly range, but curly kind of means white woman doing those twisty roller things. <laughs> let's give her some setting spray. Yeah. Yeah. I think what were people doing at one point? Were they putting their dressing gown cord or a ribbon in to yeah. make is a big thing during the pandemic. Yes, it was. <laughs> but even when I mentioned then a second ago, I'm very conscious about adding product, product. So I didn't mean like, 40 different hair types, 40 different ranges. But it's more like things need to be shaken up and like reevaluated. Like brands need to look at what they already have. Who is it catered to? It could be catering to more. What can we do with that? I just think there is there's some brands that are kind of greedy and they're like, oh yeah, let's throw texture in there, let's let's throw diversity in there. But not to, I don't mean you put a black model, I mean, you know, mixed race, you know, the halfway yeah. And then there are black brands, which you assume would obviously cater to all types of black hair. But I don't know what's in between. I think there's so much lack of education and knowledge around hair. And it's often that thing, you just get it out of your way. There's a lot of women out there and a lot of people with children, perhaps of mixed heritage, that haven't got a clue. I just think... How do you get, I feel like you need to bring out a range and then everybody else needs to go because (laughs) you've got so much knowledge and I feel that the knowledge is there, but not a lot of people want to act on it. Hmm. I think. I'm not sure. I mean, who, who are the brands that are doing it right in your eyes? I'm actually inspired to see a number of independent brands that 
have really centered this consumer. In the UK alone, obviously, we have, you know, the likes of Afrocentrics who have been around for a while. And then also newer brands such as Diziac. Um, I still need to try Diziac. Oh, my Shame God. Okay, you need to try Diziac. I keep hearing about their body conditioner or something. Yes, 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 yes. I'm going to be trying a body conditioner soon. But, like, the deep conditioner I absolutely love and um Cynthia Harvey's uh scalp serum you know um what's it this hair of my mine. own hair this hair this of hair mine. of mine yes yeah yes um, yes yes no, there, there, there are so I, I say that to maybe like give a view of sort of like the things that we have within the space and also the newer products that are perhaps coming out it was so fascinating when I spoke to Cynthia just to look at the way she's thinking about even ingredients for the scalp. There's a lot of people that are talking about the skinification of the scalp, the fact that we're realizing that our scalp is skin. Um, you know, there are things that are happening within this space that is encouraging. What I will say in addition is that there needs to be more and more needs mm-hmm. to be linked with that education piece that you speak about. Um, because we can't afford, because where we are at the moment, like when we talk about the post-natural hair movement, it's sort of like laced with, okay, well, one, a realization that I really don't have time, but also a level of apathy, right? There's a level of, I don't really care anymore. (laughs) But maybe that's a pandemic thing. You start to just weigh up. Exactly. Maybe it is, but we just need to look at all of those factors, be it sort of like social, cultural, economic and bring it together into something that maybe makes sense for the customer of today, the customer that doesn't want to spend hours and hours on their hair, the customer that wants ease, the customer that wants play and expression. Um, Because, you know, that's also the thesis of Cara, right? Like, you know, the fact that more and more products are being created and um, we actually need to help people navigate that and have personalized solutions that exist for their hair. And um, that's why I think that's why I think is 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 it's exciting in terms of how the space is going to to develop. I think within the category of textured hair, there's almost this level of steroids. I call it sort of like behavioral behave, consumer behaviors that are on steroids. Anything any regular <laughs> hair category is doing, you can be you can guarantee that we're on steroids, right? If somebody with straight hair is using maybe like a shampoo conditioner and a serum, we're using about seven products for our hair because we have so many different considerations. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I'm always interested in, you know, for instance, how can things be multifunctional? Um, how can things address the fact that, you know, say for instance, we, we might wear braids a lot more in our hair. Um, one of the things I always think about is dry shampoo, right? So like, okay, dry shampoo, the, yes. the very name dry shampoo, like, puts me right off completely. Because <laughs> I'm like, the hair's already dry. <laughs> yeah, you don't want that. So it's like, <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> what, do you what are we going say? for here, desert? Like, what's the point? Um, but actually, when you think about the fact that we wear braids a lot, Surely, dry shampoo. We should have been the OG users of dry shampoo because yes, it not be that because it serves a purpose. It serves a purpose, right? It, so, it's so not, good. You've not seen that sort of like maybe innovation in communications, or even even if you don't call it innovation, but recognition of the experiences of consumers and maybe the nuances in their experiences to say, oh, okay, that makes sense. Like, why haven't I seen you know dry shampoo being mm. communicated in this way? 
You know what? That's also made me think of those hair color powders. You see the likes of the Kardashians. You see the L'Oreal adverts where it's like a blonde woman, a brunette, a redhead. Women with braids could really do with like, I mean, obviously now we have it. You see a lot of the men in the barbershop going way too heavy. Yeah. Way too heavy with the powder. But yeah, yeah, it's like, I feel like there's so many things that work across whoever you are. And yet there's a certain number of us that just not even taken into account for you to say that labs are, instead of sourcing hair of every type, like, I don't know how they would do that. Would they do like outreach to get people to come in and donate hair? Instead of doing that, they're just getting straight hair and perming it potentially. And then there's just a real apathy. Like you mentioned apathy about, you know, from our side, just can't be bothered. But there's definitely an apathy from the industry until they start seeing the financial benefits. Like until Rihanna brought out Fenty, nobody was bothering. I mean... It was 10 shades. I mean, and and I also learned that sometimes also commercially there is sort of this antiquated belief that, okay, if you have multiple shades, they're not going to sell as much. That's like super antiquated in terms of a viewpoint because obviously like Fenty has shown us that that's really not the case. And if you don't show people that you're thinking about them, how are they going to know to buy your product? You know, even if you have 20 shades, but your advertising does not represent the shades. So it's kind of like something that's like in your back pocket, um, again, people are not going to know if you don't have truly authentic campaigns. Um, I was speaking to, going back to testing, I was speaking to a really amazing hair scientist. Her name is um, Dr. Crystal Porter. She's based in the States. She's really amazing because she's like, she um, she does this thing where she actually collects hair samples. She's amazing. She actually like uses it in her lab to test I think like what people like her in terms of what she's doing from like having, she's a black lady from having the context, but also, um, you know, testing that in her lab to understand is incredibly amazing. I'm going to be releasing her podcast really soon because she's a wealth, a huge wealth of knowledge. Okay. In area. So th- I say that to say that there are people who are now starting to look at, you know, scientifically, how can we start to change this space? Um, and how can we start to empower brands across the board, R&D labs across the board, people who are coming out with act- active ingredients across the board to do what they need to do, but do it better. Um, so that, that, from my perspective, is like, okay, like, obviously, like, it's a hair care ecosystem. There's the work that we do. There's the work that people in the lab do. There's the work that, you know, brands do. That's not for nothing. But I think increasingly, like, increasing that level of knowledge, data, insights, understanding can only mean great things across the board. And that's what we're focusing on. Just to take it back to, you know, the hair type that you say the texture gap was definitely focused on. Is it is it hair type 4 or is it 4C, first of all? It's hair type 4. You know, you've talked through some of the things that people with that hair type encounter, but what would you say could be the misconceptions around that type of hair, even from the person that might have that hair type? What are the common misconceptions about it? Is it super delicate, by the way? I often, you know... Is it's, that, is that right? it's actually the most delicate of all the hair textures. Right. Um, yeah, it's the most delicate of all the hair textures. 
typically due to a number of things. So, for instance, certainly like the physiology of the hair, the fact that it's tightly wound. And then certainly there is an element of the different types of manipulation that is typically involved. So, you know, for us with type four hair, mine is more on the spectrum of maybe like type. I feel like everything is maybe like maybe type. Basically, I'm in my hair, so you see everything from from 4A through to 4C. Like the middle of my hair is like 4C for sure. And there are the elements of the manipulation that also maybe perhaps contribute. I think that um, a lot of the challenges that we experience, again, on steroids are things such as maybe dryness of the hair and certainly breakage of the hair, this real perception that the hair is growing at a slower rate, which in some cases may be the case, but sometimes it may not necessarily be the case. It could be that the hair is actually growing, but it's also breaking at a similar speed. So you just don't see that length um, retained in your hair. Um, And the hair sometimes just doesn't act in the same way. Like it's sort of like the beauty industry has really indoctrinated in us to expect things like shine, (laughs) But, (laughs) you know, but with textured hair, just like the way the hair... It affects the way the light bounces. It's it's about light. Naturally opaque. So sometimes I even think, what's the point of expecting shine? Maybe that's not what we care about. We expect shine. Like when we see shine, we're like, yeah, it's going to make my hair shine. Um, I think we associate it with health, don't we? Exactly. We associate exactly. When really your hair might shine, but it has absolutely nothing. No hydration. With the health of your hair. That's why we also see an overuse of maybe oils um, in ways that may not be advantageous to the hair. So obviously the practice of using oils goes back, you know, years and years our grandmothers used it on our hair. And often, um, you know, increasingly we see experts that say, hey, you should not be oiling your scalp um, mm-hmm. because it can lead to scalp disorders. And mm-hmm. it can be such a hard habit to shift because, like, are you going to argue with my grandma? Are you okay? Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. But I think that's also associated with the ritual of it as well. I think exactly. that. Exactly. Black women have a lot of rituals around mm-hmm. hair and there's a nostalgia there. So exactly. to be told that greasing your scalp is actually blocking your pores and that's what's exactly. giving you bumps. It's difficult. It's difficult um, to to reconcile. But I also think that there's a need to maybe even understand why Ayurvedic practices, oiling up the scalp can be something that works for, you know, say, for instance, um, Indian women and why increasingly it's a challenge. Is there a difference in gene? Is there um, a difference in the nuances of our hair? Is it that maybe in these scenarios, the oil is being used and washed off the next day, whereas for us, it may not necessarily be the case. Um, I think oiling is such a key area that throws up throws up a lot of challenges. Certainly on our platform, we really encourage people to, you know, we try and look at what is the composition of the oil and how is the oil being used in order to provide the best um, sort of advice that exists. Because if we're drenching our hair oil or if we're maybe thinking, oh, I use oils when my hair is not moisturized. Well, when you think about oils um, 
it's not there's actually no moisture there it's sort of like no they seal in moisture so if your hair's already dry it's going to seal in the dryness pretty much it's just sitting on the top right and depending on maybe the molecular weight of that oil you just have different sorts of like behaviors so such an interesting space the other day i saw something on Mm. tiktok obviously like tiktok can be a bed of information and also misinformation at the same time and i'm really (laughs) looking for someone to break it down for me um like where similarly people are sort of saying you know obviously like there was a time when well not obviously people might not know um there was a time when blue magic that blue grease product that we all grew with was like you know we used it when we were growing up and then at one stage everybody sort of was like no no to blue magic never and then now i saw people basically saying and suggesting that you know blue magic is a is a is a great product to use and people are sort of suggesting that they're going back to blue magic again i think the key, key thing that lies mm. Um, within this is sort of understanding what the ingredients are doing. Um, so for instance, with the natural hair movement, we really saw a wave of no sulfate, no silicones, but actually there are scenarios where you might use sulfates, you know, where your hair has built up a lot of, um, build up through using really heavy products. Um, and once in a while you might need to go in with a sulfate shampoo, but it's not something you use all the time. Um, it's the same with silicones as well. Silicone thing. is about appearance. and Exactly. Same thing with silicones. Um, so again, I'm always thinking about, okay, if this is the case, what's the role of education? But also what's the role of, you know, um, creating better alternatives to things, right? Because we can't just, I think maybe perhaps the way as a beauty industry we've reacted to maybe things like, clean beauty and natural movements just say this is natural and then natural has become mm-hmm. a catch-all for all things good for you when that may not necessarily be the it's case. not true um mm-hmm. there are natural things that are not good for you there are you know even when you come to like things like essential oils you have to kind of consume that with real care um so <laughs> not me i cannot me and essential oils right? do not work exactly and Oof. that's for that's for a reason so i think science is there for a reason and education needs to encompass that i think the way we reacted to maybe natural movement which was like where people were saying no to chemicals was like everything is natural so now when you hear it's natural instantly you think that that's good when you see no sulfates no shit you think yeah instantly that's good but is it we need to be looking at the uses for our hair and then thinking about what exactly does our hair need um and go from there you pointed out science and education and i would add one third thing to that which is um individuality because mm. I feel that skincare has come a long way finally I think more brands are getting well yeah we can put out a dry combination da, 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 skin type but within that there are many and within that there are we are all so so different yeah. our pH is different our gut our microbiome is different our gut health is different so I feel that anything that goes on skin I, even I've learned so much more. It, it doesn't matter that so-and-so has beautiful skin and you're the same skin tone and even you have the same oily spots she does. It does not translate that whatever that person uses is going to work for you. And I think it's time. Skinification is definitely coming to hair. And I think it needs to be even more so just bear in mind that we are all so different because with hair, you've got to consider the scalp, which is skin, and then what's coming out of it. So it's yeah. like... So for me, a bespoke part needs to come into this. You've got the science. The education is 
definitely lacking. Yeah. And just a more individual approach, I think, just to say we're not all the same. Absolutely we're literally not, not all the same. Absolutely not all the same. So, yeah, there's there's a huge sort of element um, of recognizing that. Um, recognizing difference doesn't need to be um, a bad thing. I actually think it's a it's a wonderful thing to to celebrate those differences and create for those differences. Um, I think that that's generally a good place a good place to be. Can anybody access the texture gap though, Winnie? On on our platform, yes, can certainly access the white paper that inc- introduces Perfect. sort of like uh, a summary view and introduction to the report. Um, and if people want to go even deeper, they can purchase the sort of like the full, real, in-depth, rich version of the report. Perfect. I'll make sure to share the link in the show notes. But just one final thing, like what do you, a year from now, what do you want, what do you hope that the Texture Gap report will have achieved? I really hope that it sparks this new wave of, innovation for this consumer. I hope that it centers this consumer in a way that makes a real difference um, to what we've seen previously. We shouldn't be afraid to center this consumer to help them be seen. I think that the fact that the Texture Gap Report exists really demonstrates that, you know, this consumer has been talking right? And now is the time to start listening in a deeper way, in a way that is um, much more sustainable than what we've seen previously. You mentioned, you know, putting a black model on the cover. We need to go even deeper than that. Um, And I would just really love to see that level of difference and and change um, within the industry as a whole. Well, if anyone's going to do it, it's going to be you, Winnie, because... And any brands listening... You should really get in touch with Winnie. (laughs) I think it's just the element of care. Yeah. It's the element of care. Do you know what I mean? I think that's what, maybe that's what's missing. Yeah. You know, the actual care for the consumer. I think social media has changed things so much, talking of community, but I'm like, but where's the community really when it comes to brands? I think they just think, we'll use this app for that and this app for that, but where's the real care? Um. So I'm excited to see where you and the texture gap are in a year from now. I'm excited as well. I'm excited as well. I mean, just even since the the launch of it, the level of conversation that is ignited is so exciting um, to see. And I'm positive. I'm feeling positive about, about what the future brings. Cool. Well, we're adding to the conversation today. So anyone that's got questions specifically for you, where would you like them to find you? Literally find us on either Cara, uh, C-A-R-R-A dot co or Cara Labs, uh, C-A-R-R-A dot co forward slash labs. I know you get it right in the show notes and the text <laughs> yeah. report. Oh, just drop me a line on LinkedIn. If you're a brand, it's, it's Winnie Hour. Cool. Thank you so much, Winnie. Thank you. you. I hope you found this episode insightful. Like I said, Winnie's got the best laugh, hasn't she? Um, But also 
I really think this has just been so insightful when it comes to textured hair. There's a lot more to talk about. We didn't cover it all. We touched on, you know, what made sense on that day. But I can tell you if I got Winnie on today, we would probably talk about 10 other things to do with textured hair. So lots more to talk about. And as I hinted earlier, we'll definitely be doing something together again soon. In the meantime, I would love to hear more from you. So I'm definitely going to put a poll over on Spotify if you're a Spotify listener. I just want to know a little bit more about your hair. So do take part if you can. As usual, you can check out the show notes. I'll give you all of the links to Winnie's various platforms, including the texture gap. And I'll also share some links to what some publications have already written about Winnie. Feel free to reach out to Winnie Direct if you've got a hair question. And one of the questions that did pop up in this conversation where we talked about hair relaxer for children, I'm also going to share that as a little video clip for you. So go check that out. You'll be able to see it on the Beauty Me podcast Instagram, or you can see it over on my TikTok at Sharice Kenyon. You can also find me on threads at Sharice underscore Kenyon. And don't forget, there's a newsletter, which is beautymenotes.substat.com. If you enjoyed listening, it would be great if you could hit subscribe so you never miss another episode. And if you could take a second to leave a review, it would make a huge difference. I'll see you next time.